As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to the club. Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, flying goalkeepers and a last gasp equaliser at Ashburton Grove. The evolution of Chelsea's sensitive striking sensation Alvaro Morata. And when is it the correct time to show Mark Hughes the Southampton exit door? We'll have a European roundup, examine the idea of a mega club Super League and discuss the international return of Croxeth's favourite son, Francis Jeffers. No, sorry, Wayne Rooney. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by returning hero Matt Law. Matt, how are you? Good. Feeling heroic. Good. Yeah, as you should. You're looking looking well. A I, good break. Yeah, apparently you. I'm nicely nicely tanned, people yeah. keep saying. Yeah, you so look, you look I'm going to take that. Even more delightful Apparently than it won't last more than a few days, though, right? No, it probably won't. Ever-present hero Mina Rizuki. What's happening, Mina? Oh, not much. Not much. I just want this week to be over. Oh, come on, Nina. It's <laughs> true. That's, that's true, no busy. talk for a Monday. Yeah, okay. No, I'm go- it's going to be really fun. It's going to be really exciting. That's the spirit. You've well, worn your special boots. I do. It. They have like shiny glitter all over them. Excellent. I hope it is going to lead to even better talking into a microphone. And it's tactically minded hero JJ Ball. How are you, JJ? I'm feeling pumped after Mina's rousing, uh, Mina's rousing hello. Right, yes. <laughs> Mina's rousing boots. Yes. Should we start with Arsenal versus Liverpool? Uh, a one-all draw. Arsenal look good. Do we think they're title contenders? I don't know about title contenders. I've been saying they've looked good for a while. I got poo-pooed a few weeks ago by I Mina. Mean, yeah. Mm. And, um, hey, I've been proven right. Understandably at the time. But... Um, <laughs> hey, hey, calm down, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> they're good. They're decent. They're not, they're not going to win the league, but they, I still think they could finish top four or have a good go at top four. Do you think they've gone a bit above Liverpool after uh, what we saw on Saturday, Mina? I'll be honest, I didn't think they had in them. And then I saw that performance against Liverpool and I was 
re- I was really impressed because the whole time I was like, yeah, but I mean, who are they playing? I know it's win after win, but it's kind of rubbish. They're pretty terrible at the back. I still have issues with them defensively and more with the fact that they're midfielders who get great praise and as they should, but it's a little strange where they position themselves when they lose the ball and how they try to chase that. So that's one thing they can fix. But going forward, they're, they're really interesting to watch. I think they're very clever. Um, there was uh, the, the equalizer I thought was sensational, the way they did that. It just opened up space, so, you know, nice through ball in. Um, and they're mentally tough. That's hugely important. You can see that there's a real genuine unit there and, and everyone's really happy to be with one another. And it's high caliber of players going forward so I do think they can definitely challenge for top four the gr- gritty Arsenal we haven't said that well I think what you yeah. George Graham have we yeah, yeah. quite I, I th- mean I think they've got more points from losing positions than anyone else will have to yeah. go in one goal behind or something like that that's hugely impressive yeah quite yeah. the turnaround as well I think what you notice even watching it on TV now is the mood has changed in the ground like when Liverpool equalised there was a real roar from the crowd like roaring on their team which would never have happened under Wenger how much of a difference do we think that makes to the players and, and the manager and how does Emery keep that going? I think it makes a huge difference. It's just the mood around the club, isn't it? It's been such a, a negative place for the last kind of four or five years with everyone wanting Wenger to, to go. And it's just galvanised the whole place. I think the players do feed off that. I don't think Emery needs to do a lot to keep that going, to be honest with you. I think they've invested in him now. He's he's had a good enough start that everyone believes in him. Um, he's doing a lot of basics right. I mean, it sounds stupid. They are just running more. And that is having an effect. And it's kind of stuff where you look at it thinking, why didn't Wenger do any of this? But it just seemed it needed needed a new man and a new feeling around the club to get that going. His substitutions were good. I feel like, you're right, it's exactly that. When you go to the stadium, it just seems like there's a lot more excitement around them. No one is just sitting. Before, when you watched Arsenal, there was this kind of like spoiled luxury that you watched. I don't know how to explain it. It was just a bit like... Yeah, they're going to probably play, still play well, but it's not it, It's not tough. It's not like, yeah, you're going to get off your seat and be excited. This is different. There's a huge different atmosphere there. You really feel like they can equalise at any point. They can win at any point. They can create danger at any point. They have, obviously, frailties that they will work on. But to start off the season like this under what's supposed to be a transitional year and a new coach and things have changed, it's impressive. I think um, the most important thing for Emery is that he really got. He stuck with the things he wanted to do, and it started working. And their fixture list really helped them with this, which then I think will make the players believe in him, so we can do more going forward. And uh, putting there's so much difference to the way he manages in the sidelines to the way that Arsene Wenger used to. And even having like I remember when they used to have players like Petit and Vieira in midfield. Now you've got Lucas Torreira and Granit Xhaka, who are so so good against Liverpool. They won everything um, in that central midfield, and it's they kind of defend with this box almost with two centre backs and they've got two um, defensive midfielders just in front um, level with the full backs. And the way they win the ball back is really impressive. And uh, they broke well and they managed to get Aubameyang into the same team as Lacazette. So they've got a striker too when they're going forward. Ozil's playing up top as a second striker almost, so he's not having to do too much uh, defensive work, which he's not great at. And the whole thing looks really organised and good. They're not title challengers yet, I wouldn't have thought. But um, it's totally different. That atmosphere will change at Emirates again, though. I mean, it's Arsenal. You think so? I don't think yeah. for a while. I really don't think. I certainly don't think for this season. They used to be so angry. I mean, the, the 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 kind of mob were always around the press box, and even when Arsenal went ahead, everyone was still angry. 
and they were expecting something to go wrong and the littlest thing would set everybody off. And it was like a passive kind of anger. I, mean, I think anger sounds so strong. There's like resentment building up in them over so many years or something. But um, I always found at the Emirates that it's, you feel like this massive emptiness of sound there's no that, that cacophony of noise you need to come through and Emery's driving them on and they're getting behind it I mean if people identify with their football club which is where a lot of the you know animosity comes from in these games uh, under Wenger they had passive defensive uh, a bit of nice looking stuff but no real substance now they've got the real core of energy drive work which you need to build from to do all the nice stuff do we think you know Emery dyes his hair Oh, I, I wouldn't. So. I, I wouldn't want to accuse I, him of the, anything. It's the blackest uh, town I've ever seen. I, I just enjoyed watching him so much more after Jim White said he's a sort of weird, non-obvious look-alike for Alan Partridge uh, yeah. last week, and that has just completely uh, <laughs> changed my appreciation of Ian Emery. Uh, what about Liverpool? They did defend quite well. How much of that is down to Virgil Van Dijk, and how has he made the defence better as a unit? Well, he leads and he commands and he tells people where to go he organises so you find a lot of defensive partnerships work because um, both players have to be good obviously but one tends to be the the person who leads and the other almost sweeps up one's a coverer one's a you know they step out and try and, and win the tackles but Liverpool um, defended with the three midfielders in the centre of the park they tried to win that the, the battle in the middle of the pitch and so the, the, the back four back two have more protection when they when they charge forward and they tacked in the wings with the fullbacks and then the narrow front three can have a bit of fun. But Van Dijk makes the biggest difference at set pieces, and you saw him. He almost scored about a hat trick just going up. So at the other end as well, you just can't really win the ball off him. He's always in the right place. I'd, they defend differently depending on the game, but it's normally a bit of zonal marking and a bit of man as well. And Van Dijk always seems to be the boy who gets his head on the ball first wherever it goes. Yeah, I think a- I saw him when I left the pod last week. In, in London's trendy Victoria. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I, I, and I was like, I kept looking because I was, you know, it was the square outside Harvey Nichols. Yeah. Cause when sure, yeah, I know it well. Me, yeah. <laughs> Stop. And he was he was there. And I was like, why is he here? But anyway, um, I, I think he's honestly the best centre-back in the league. Uh, I love that he positions himself so well. I love that he talks and it's clear that there's communication there. I like that he's always in the right position so he doesn't do anything that's outrageous like sliding tackles. And he just knows exactly how to read the passage of play to position himself well, intercept, take the ball and, and guide it forward. It just looks like he's so composed that you can't bully or pressure him into mistakes. My favourite thing about this game, the best moment for me, was when Leno came absolutely flapping out for a cross <laughs> and then got congratulated by all his teammates. Yeah, They're all weird. giving him high fives. Yeah. That was really weird. Feel good, yeah. I thought that as well. I, I watched the replay on that thinking, had I missed something? Had he actually done something good in that? Alisson got away with one of those as well, mm. didn't he? I didn't think it was a great game for the goalies, actually. No. Alex, Alex Wilby's through ball for that uh, the goal that Lacazette scored was something else as he well. He is reborn Such in vision. Bremery. I, yeah. I never fancied him Yeah, but Ramsey was so essential to that as well, just dragging it wide Going and creating wide. that space. And this is where I was like, why are you not filling these gaps? This is where I'm thinking. Like, how do you how- mean? Like Liverpool should have filled those gaps. Should have read the. No, they they were compact there. They were because in, in that exact bit they were four four one one. I, I think I know what you mean. But Ramsey pulled out left because it will be cut inside. So Ramsey had to go there, and he normally likes to go through the middle. But they were in a four four one one shape exactly that time, and uh, it's weird because it had Klopp stayed with a four five one. So Shakiri had come on by this point. So they don't have a, a, a sitting midfielder between the lines of defensive midfield. And had there been one there, he probably would have covered that channel for the. The through ball? Yeah. It's very like specific. The one thing I thought um, that I've noticed about Liverpool uh, is important is that 
Klopp's squad building is really smart. You've got Van Dijk as a leader. You've got Lovren, who is kind of a leader. Milner's a captain. Henderson's a captain. It's all these players who are captains. And it, Lovren? Well, I mean, he, you know, he does it for Croatia. But you have um, you have all these players who you can pick from who would be captains of other teams, and they're all there in one. Robertson is another one. And it just makes... They've, they've got this culture there in that club that is the kind you need to win trophies. It's like the old Man United. Credit to Lacazette as well, that he did brilliantly to score that goal. Oh, yeah. Uh, a wonder, wonderful finish. Uh, from one excellent striker at the moment onto another, Maratta coming good at Chelsea. My uh, favourite striker. Matt, uh, you were there <laughs> on Sunday uh, at Stanford Bridge. Can you remember a new arrival taking more than a year to kind of acclimatise to the Premier League and then becoming excellent? Drogba. Really? Did Drogba not start quite well? He didn't. He didn't have a brilliant first season. I don't remember. He certainly had a lot of issues with kind of diving and having to get mm-hmm. get used to a lot of things in the league before coming brilliant. Henri was uh, the one. Thierry I was Henri. Of, yeah, it was. Out, was he a whole he season was, or was that a sort of six months? Yeah, and he was kind of out of position when he came yeah. originally. But he was. He was, sort of he a, was a slow starter. Sure. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm yet to be convinced that we're going to really see Morata score sort of thirty goals. He's a streaky player. He's so um, reliant on confidence. I mean, we spoke to him afterwards, and unfortunately it's under a 10.30 embargo, so I can't tell you what he said. <laughs> However, it came through that he he was still dwelling on the fact that he hadn't scored his hat-trick, and that to him was far more important than having scored two goals. Now, you might say that's good for a striker, but he <laughs> does... He focuses on the negatives. I've never known a guy, and um, Sari said afterwards he's fra- he's fragile and he's kind of got to get over that. He's he's so reliant on things going right for him, and when it goes right, it's good. But I think that's why he is streaky because if a game goes badly for him, then it seems to affect him for another three or four games. Yeah, yeah, you can see it in his face yeah. when, he, when he goes through and goal. And I think this is the important bit because when you have that confidence, you know that if you hit it a certain way, it's probably going to go there. But when you start to distrust your, well, you don't Definitely. even rely on muscle memory, you go with what you think's meant to happen and you get things wrong and then you're not the same level of player that you were. So when he tries to scoop it over the keeper in that last, last action of the game... You can see that he knows that that touch that he just relies on isn't there still. He's still not the player he wants to be. That must just really crush him after the two he scored. Because I think he's... Okay, no, it's it's clear that I've always been really into this guy. I, I, I think he's such a good forward. And I do feel sorry for him at Chelsea because I think he arrived at a time when he was so desperate to play for Antonio Conte, who I don't think was the man who really you know revived his confidence levels. When he was at Juventus, uh, Gigi Buffon walked into the dressing room, not the dressing room, sorry, the treatment room and found him crying and said, you have to be careful because there are some people who are going to love the fact that you're crying and others who are going to think you're weak because of it. So you you have to stay strong. That's always been an issue with him. He also tends to reflect what's going on in his private life. So if it's if he's having a bad moment, you'll see that he doesn't really come through on the pitch. But right now he's going through a great moment and he doesn't always come through on the pitch. I also think that this is where I have an issue with Maurizio Sarri. I do love him and, and obviously he's done a great job at Chelsea. But I do think that he gets a little bit too obsessed with the style of football and not necessarily extracts the best out of the players that he's got in the way that Ancelotti, for example, can now at Napoli. You know that you have a striker there who's great at heading the ball, a striker who needs crosses. And Hurnick described this perfectly as well on Match of the Day. It just seems a bit like everyone just goes inside and uses up all the channels that otherwise Morata knows how to use. So if you're going to play Morata, then you can't keep cutting inside and utilising that space. You have to allow him the space and the movement and the freedom and the trust to send him these crosses for him to score those goals I do think at a different club he can do more um, and obviously the more he he scores the better he'll be but I do think at Chelsea there needs to be 
Sadi needs to concentrate on getting the best out of him rather than just hoping for a player like he had in Napoli, which is like a Dries Mertens. These these quick players that, you know, can all rotate and provide fluid movement because that's not what he has. Ruben Loftus-Cheek only on the bench for Chelsea, but one of Palace's best players last year. Does this sum up the differences between the two teams? Yeah, it sums up a lot to do with the Premier League, I think. I think there's a lot of players on the benches of the top six who would be the best players in, in all the other teams. I mean, they, they stockpile them, don't they? Look at City with all their options. Even kind of a kid like Phil Foden would be a star everywhere. I mean, it's one of the issues for the Premier League that they, they can't really get over. So I, what I would say is the last six weeks, Ruben Loftus-Cheek has actually started playing some football. He's not not playing any football now, um, so it's got better for him. I still think if I were him, I'd look to go out on loan in January. Just a word on non-playing football is Danny Drinkwater. Basically won the league with Leicester Who? retired. <laughs> exactly. He's not even in Chelsea's Europa League squad. He no. can't. He won't not play on Thursday night. He can't play. He's absolutely disappeared off the face of the earth. He's got a big contract, so if you're him, you kind of He won go, the league, we'll he retired else, yeah. from international duty unofficially and now has just seemed to have retired his whole career unofficially. The new Winston Bogart just going to stick around at Chelsea for many years earning a delicious amount of money. While we're on the subject of Chelsea, you can sign up to a new email newsletter completely free, coming to you every week and written by none other than Matt Law. Go to www.telegraph.co.uk forward slash Law Chelsea. What about the rest of the Premier League AFC Telegraph teammates? Manchester City 6, Southampton 1. Obviously, City, excellent. We're, we're slightly bored of talking about how good they are at this point. But at what point does Southampton give up on Mark Hughes? Pro- probably not after defeat to one of the best teams the Premier League's ever seen, right? I would have given up about 20 games ago. Oh. <laughs> I thought he was appointed. Like, I'm sure Mark Hughes is a lovely guy, right? And um, I don't think any. it's not nice to say someone should be sacked from their job. It's ho- uh, in fact, it's tolerable, I would say. But... Um, he's so middling and average. If you hire Mark Hughes, all you get is uh, low to average. You're never going to go anywhere with it. Why do you think he still keeps getting jobs? Is, does he interview really well? His CV looks good. If you look at um, who you can get for a job, who's managed in the Premier League, who's kept teams alive, who's done this, who's done that. He's got things in the CV, but he never takes anyone anywhere. There's no clear style to it. It's just a kind of forgettable team every single time. I mean, for me, it was just, it, it, you looked at that squad and you just thought it was bad coaching because you have all these, you know, you have like six attackers going forward against a team like Manchester City and there's such a huge gap between defence and midfield. And you're just thinking, if you are if you have so many people high up, why are you not pressing? Why are you not bullying? Why are you not harrying? Why is there such a huge gap between your midfield? And It, it just looks disorganised but perhaps he just communicates well with players and that's why he gets dropped well he played 4-4-2 in that game and uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with playing a 4-4-2 lots of managers do it but the way they, they set it up was just to try and the most basic of things sit back deep and then try and hit on the counter and it was undone in about five minutes I think Southampton has lost their way lost their way as a club a little bit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they used to have this really kind of strong identity obviously bringing the kids through that was never going to always continue in fairness. You can't just keep bringing through sensationally talented kids. It's impossible. But their recruitment was very good as well for a while. And now their recruitment's gone bad for the last few years. And they're suffering as a point of that. I don't quite know what they are now. I don't think they quite know what they are now. They've, they've, lost, they've just lost their identity a bit. That was very much summed up in the appointment of, of Mark Hughes, probably. Um, probably they were wrong to sack Puel. I mean, a lot of people were calling for it, but Puel mm. was actually doing quite a good job and, and seemed to fit into what was a successful identity that they had, and that's now just gone. All I would say is is 
where do they go if they sack Mark Hughes? Who do they appoint? Do they appoint Sam Allardyce? Do they appoint Steve Bruce? Do there's they... no point doing it now because there's there's not much work you get done between now and a January window and I don't think it's even players that need to come in. It's the whole thing. I agree with you that it lacks identity through the team. Did they change the something at the top level? Where it's no, I mean, Les Reed, who, who has had a lot of praise through their very good years, is still doing what he, he was doing. Um, just not so well by the looks of things. Paul Puel, of course, was at Cardiff over the weekend uh, with Leicester. It was hard to not feel affected by uh, the celebrations, especially after the goal, I thought. Kasper Schmeichel, an absolute star with uh, everything he said over the weekend. Do we think Damari Gray's booking was the least necessary yellow card of all time? I feel sorry for Lee Probert on this because... Mm. He, he's, he's kind of if you saw when you watch the goal there's a little moment where Tamari Gray starts his celebration where you can see Probert's face before he books him and Probert's already looking like oh man <laughs> it's just like that look on his face and in fairness Puel said afterwards we played the game professionally mm. he refereed the game professionally and I think that's a great point. I, th- I, th- I think that if you're going to play, if you're going to say we're going to go out there and play the game, then the referee has to stick. It's he has horrible. To the rules. But I, I feel really sorry for Lee Probert on this. What I don't feel sorry for him, everybody forgot afterwards, was the handball decision, which is the worst decision ever not to give a penalty when, when Vardy's well, shot was clearly just like saved off the line. But well, Vardy was offside though, so it's fine. I hadn't spotted that. Um, <laughs> These things even themselves up. No, I mean, I, I just think it was an unfortunate situation that everyone was caught up in. And for once, and I very rarely would say this, I'd agree with Gary Lineker that there were just more important things that day to get too worked up about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, quite. Manchester United, uh, perhaps digging deep for Jose Mourinho at this point. Come back uh, against Bournemouth, uh, the Newcastle one before that. Uh, is the tie turning slightly there? Uh, yeah, they've become the comeback kings at the moment. They've, they've suddenly started looking like they're really playing for him, having it, you know, in that first half, looking like they were just giving in and, and sort of throwing him under his own parked bus. Um, I mean, they were they were really lucky first half, weren't they? They were very, very fortunate. Um, they could have been a good few goals behind. But then second half, I thought they, they got themselves on top in a fairly sort of scrappy way. But Martial doing fantastically. Another, another weird example of Mourinho treating a player appallingly by the looks of things. And then all of a sudden it sort of ended up working a bit like Luke Shaw. So maybe he's, uh, maybe all... What he was doing was was a bit more positive than what we all thought. I don't know. Alexis Sanchez, I thought, was very good as well in that match. Um, I thought you could see him sort of getting back to the levels that we would expect from him when he was first purchased. And just all in all, maybe they just, this is their game plan. Maybe they want to lull you into a false sense of security and you just think you're on top and you're going to ride this wave and then they come back and hit you in the second half and... And destroy you. I don't know, but it, it does seem bizarre. Maybe, maybe it's only in the second half when they feel they can actually shed their tactical rigidity and start to play attacking football again. I don't know. Mourinho said uh, after the game that he doesn't understand that first half because all week they worked incredibly hard on how and where they were going to press Bournemouth, how they were going to cause them problems, how they break down their play, and how they would build attacks. And None of them did it. The defending was hopeless. He said it was defensively awful. Um, dead right. You have to agree with that. Although they were just, um, I don't know what what happens with that back line, and they weren't doing their jobs very well. And it was a real game of two halves, Clive, because that XG, our old friend, 
Uh, the first half. Welcome back, XG. Yep, he's back. She's back. Bournemouth was uh, 1.8 to 0.8 for Man United in the first half. <laughs> XG's definitely male. It was 1 1. And <laughs> 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 a second. So basically, um, in the second half, Man United completely out, outshot, outscored um, Bournemouth and XG in the first half. Bournemouth completely did them in. A real game of two halves. West Ham beat Burnley 4-2 at the London Stadium of the Olympics at Stratford. Uh, Loads of fun, West Ham, uh, suddenly when they're playing like this. But uh, not not so good for Burnley. Some talk of a mole in the dressing room potentially at the weekend. Do we think Sean Dyche is going to be this year's Claudio Ranieri, the shock managerial sacking? No. 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 (laughs) I think they could go down and he wouldn't get sacked. Right. And quite rightly. Yeah. I think he could play a mole and they would still let him keep his job. (laughs) Quite rightly. Oh, he's done a fantastic job for Burnley. Yeah, but what Absolutely. if he starts to lose? Well, if he every starts to lose match. every single game for two years, then sack him. But <laughs> he's earned wow, the right to be relegated. He's earned the right. Okay. I, I, I will have a large bet with you now that they don't go down this season, and therefore mm-hmm. he is, um, he is bulletproof in my. Can, my can we get into this large bet? What exactly is on the table here? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't want it to be money. I want to find. I want to find something that matters to you, Matt. That you want, Nina. Oh, uh, you could say matters because I was going to bet my phone, but that doesn't actually matter. I think yeah, that's actually got a sticker on the back saying property of Telegraph Media Group as well, so you might get in a you're little bit of I bet your boots. A... I bet your boots. No, I like them. You can't go to a villa game for a year and a half. Oh, that might be doing me that's a favour. <laughs> <laughs> Spurs sort of wolves uh, at Molyneux. I'm slightly worried about Kieran Trippier. Didn't look brilliant against Man City last Monday. Gave the ball away, leading to one of Wolves' penalties. Uh, but more importantly with this match, quarter to eight kickoff on a Saturday. How do we feel about that kickoff time? I like it. I love I it. I seem to be on my own on this. I, I quite like it. Too. Like it. No, I yeah. love it. You can, do, you can do what you want to do on your Saturday day. If you've got kids, you can do all the kids' stuff, all the clubs. Um, if you like shopping, you can go shopping. If you like just sitting on the sofa, you can sit on the sofa. And then you can go to a football match in the evening. I've got no problem with it whatsoever. Um, Kieran Trippier, wow. I mean, he did set up Lucas Moura's header, right? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's still got that going for him. But defensively, he's just gone to pieces this season. I mean, he whether he's feeling the effects of the World Cup and he's tired or what, but he's really struggling in the back. And now he's, he looks like he's lost his England place as well. I'd imagine at some stage... Um, his Tottenham place will be under threat if because he looked furious with him, didn't he? Pochettino yeah. looked like he was fuming after he tried that nutmeg and kind of he didn't really stitch up Foyth, but he made it difficult for Foyth. Um, and yeah, if he if he does silly, what what Pochettino will always take is a player who's trying and going through a hard spell. He will stick with them, but if they start doing silly things, you can quickly end up in the, the real bad books of Pochettino. Things with that nutmeg, if it comes off, you look great. You look like some sort of king of defence. <laughs> but if it doesn't, then you put your teammates in trouble. It's a, it's a, so, so many instances this happens in football, and I think it changes careers, little bits like that. You nutmeg someone, you get away, you pass the ball up, and you're the best right back in the country. But if you get tackled and then you lose the ball, you're in trouble. And Pochettino said after the game that uh, Trippier needs to remember he's a fullback. I think it's quite strong. Yeah. Strong language. Yeah. Sometimes when you change it and you introduce like a youngster like, you know, Juan Foyth, then it's it does become a little bit different because you have to s- sort of understand and have the chemistry at the back line. But I do feel sorry for him because it's a role that you have to have like the utmost concentration at all times and energy and, and especially the way that Pochettino plays. And it does seem like he's a little bit exhausted. And, yeah, it's and, a difficult position, Pochettino. I mean, the, the fullback positions of Pochettino are like the two most important positions in, in probably the team. Yeah, um, so which is why he's always had kind game. of the four of them mm-hmm. rotating a lot. 
On last week's podcast, Jim White asked for a baking term when he was looking for a metaphor for the bottom of the table. Uh, there's a lot of teams in in that kind of uh, bottom. We used to talk about a marzipan layer. I'm not sure what the, the layer is that falls to the, the very bottom of the baking. We need a great British Bake Off um, uh, fan to come up with a metaphor here, but it's the sludge at the bottom. There's a huge number of these teams. Twitter's Richard Morris got in touch and said, the opposite of the marzipan layer on GBBO is a soggy bottom, which I think is a fantastic term for the, uh, the, the, the rear of the Premier League this year. So down at the soggy bottom of the Premier League, finally, a win for Newcastle United. Is this the turning point on Tyneside? That should have been about eight 0 Watford. Yeah, it was astonishing. <laughs> it was so funny to watch. Newcastle uh, managed to get the win. The XG I've got it written down somewhere was something mental. Uh, oh, oh, Hundred goals. <laughs> it's, it's not as lower than I thought it would be. It's two point one to 0.7 But Watford just kept missing these chances, glorious chances in the on the penalty spot. Crosses in from wide, and someone just punted over the bar, and it almost became a thing, like a mental block. But because your teammate had missed it. You yourself would have to miss it because you hadn't seen it go in. You couldn't visualise scoring. <laughs> Something, you know, all, all over the place. But uh, yeah, no, it's not a turning point. But, no. but a game like that can be the turning point, can't it? Like one you don't really deserve to win. Suddenly to you fair, get a well, rub they grew straight away, yeah. They were much better than them. Yeah, they looked like they were interested in actually trying to, you know, to, to win the game. And it looked like they were going to really run and <laughs> secure this unlikely victory. So to their credit, at least they tried. But for, for, I don't know. I mean, that performance... Watford, how they how they didn't win that, I don't understand. Just happens sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. It's Jason Burt's fault for living with them for the week. Blame <laughs> Jason Burt. That's an excellent article. Incidentally, you uh, you must look at it immediately on the Telegraph website. You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. It's time for a song for Europe featuring Mina Razuki. Uh, Mina, Real Madrid's interim manager Solari, a 2 0 win over Valladolid. I think I pronounced that right. Uh, <laughs> La Liga rules. Well, I like uh, yeah, it's close enough. La Liga rules uh, say that an interim manager can only take charge for two weeks. Uh, do we know who's going to be lined up or, or could he potentially be the man to take them forward? I think he'll potentially will be the man to take them forward just because there is a, a real lack of options at the moment. Um, it's quite difficult because Sergio Ramos made it clear that they're not too interested in Antonio Conte. Um, recently, they've been linked to Hadim of previously of Monaco, I, who, as you know, I'm a huge fan of, at least on a tactical level. I'm just, again, not entirely sure how he's going to come across in that dressing room and whether he has what it takes to manage it. But I do think that Solari is already doing a good job over there. Uh, you can see that he's already got the respect of the players. And I think most importantly, what he did was bring back Antonio Pintus, who's the physical trainer. And he's a guy that was sidelined by Lopetegui. He was under Zinedine Zidane and the players felt that he was so happy with their progression and their, their fitness levels and their determination on, under him. And when Lopetegui came, he took him away, sidelined him, brought in his own men, and now he's back. And it's almost like Solari understands what the players need to be the very best and he's doing what they can and they haven't been too bad. Solari would kind of be an interim appointment still though, wouldn't it? He wouldn't be if called he lost the, interim, the end, yeah. But I mean, it would be so easy to change him in the summer if they could get Pochettino, if they could get Mourinho. It would feel like they're going to take stock again in the summer if they appoint Solari. I think they could... I think Pochettino is their end game. They, I think they'd really love him. I, I just... I still struggle with why you would want Mourinho back there. Perez loves him. 
but the players don't. You gave them their best ever title winning season. Yeah, I just, I mean, some of the players obviously did at the time, the likes of Arbelo, but I don't, obviously Casillas didn't seem to love him too much, but um, he's, he's, gone. he's gone. They've all gone, so I don't know. Borussia Dortmund extend their lead in the Bundesliga. Have uh, have they got what they, it takes to go the distance, do we think, Mina or uh, a Bayern, who are now just four points behind, despite a pretty uh, rotten start, uh, are they going to pull themselves together? Yeah, four points behind. They dropped points again over the weekend. Bayern, I, I still think that squad just has so many holes within it. There's just so much they need to, to regenerate that side. Uh, Dortmund, on the other hand, you can feel like there's just constant options on the pitch, off the pitch. They can, they have one of the best fullbacks in the league right now, who actually is a Real Madrid um, fullback last season, Ashraf Hakimi, one of a, a young player who's just sensational at the moment. They've got the league's top scorer in Paco Alcacer and... Um, he's just a sub. Jaden Sancho, who's the top assist maker, is just on fire every time he plays. They know how to win the games. They know how, they knew how to score four goals against Atletico Madrid. Did you ever think that Atletico Madrid can concede four goals? Um, but apparently they can. They have options, like I said, in midfield. They've got Dawood who can manage the ball. De, you know, Delaney. Um, they've got Axel Witzel. So I think there's experience there. There's there's goal strikers there. There's they know how to make the most of their opportunities, and they're winning the games even when it looks a bit tough. So yeah, I, th- I definitely think this is their year. Actually, good to know. We will keep an eye on the Bundesliga. It's it's a little bit less interesting in Syria. Juve leading the way. Uh, I'm, it's always I'm, interesting. I'm, <laughs> I was about to say as ever, it's less interesting. In I'm going to say it now. I think Juventus might win the league this year, but it's Napoli and Inter behind them and looking good. Who's more likely to challenge them, Mina? Yeah, this is like the the non-stop conversation in Gazetta and all the papers. Oh, who can challenge them? Because it's so different. Inter are like a a physical side that just will bully you into submission. That have you know that have pace and strength and and just players like Nangolan and Icardi who scores from like one and a half chances and. Um, and then you've got Napoli, who are just so pretty and technical and, and low centre of gravity and move the ball so so fantastically, but perhaps don't have the physicality sometimes that they, they need to fight these teams. So I honestly don't know. It's about what kind of football you like. I think there's something for everyone. And my money's still on Inter. How is Sisulu doing at the moment? Sorry? Sisulu. Have I said Sassuolo. it wrong? Sassuolo. Oh. Sassuolo. <laughs> I think I've pulled it back after the Valladolid mistake. <laughs> Sassuolo are doing really well. I mean, obviously, they started the season terrifically. They've yeah. fallen off a little bit. Um, they do play a very nice style of football. Because a lot say. of people are talking about their manager. Loads of people are talking about that. Is yeah, it Yeah, because they just, yeah, they just love... Well, he was exceptional when he was in Foggia. They yeah. love a coach who plays interesting football. And for them, interesting football is Saudi football, yeah. which is just rotating the ball this is again this is not what I love and I think that there are a lot of weaknesses within it but at Sassuolo and at the players he have it suits them perfectly and he's honestly found ways as well to cover up any weaknesses that they do have so they're an interesting side to watch and they keep scoring um, they won over the weekend against Kievo but um, I mean whether or not they're going to be I don't know maybe they can push for a Europe I need to place. look at them because lots of people keep talking about their manager and I just have to keep Saki lying Saki keeps talking about their manager but remember Saki pretending I know all about them I can't even pronounce the team's name so <laughs> I need to see No Eddie Gosaki's a huge fan but he's also not a fan of Allegri so that tells you a lot about what, what what kind of coaches are rated in Italian football? While on the subject of Europe the topic of the European Super League came up over the weekend again all of the elite clubs together, lots of lucrative sponsorship deals. Basically, it's a competitive ICC, so I assume you're completely on board for this, Mina. 
Absolutely. I think it's <laughs> it can't happen soon No, enough. the ICC is so much better than this. <laughs> no, um, I don't know how I feel about this, to be honest. I know that everyone just keeps thinking it's it's the big teams just trying to make money and find different ways of doing that. And I perhaps agree. But if there are rules within it, in, in the sense that everyone's allowed to spend the same amount of money and there isn't any financial doping, there isn't teams that can spend $400 million on one striker. Almost like an American to. model where yeah. it's um, where a it's bit just, more capped and exactly. evened out. And, and there is like a, con, you know, an effort to raise youth, an effort to all play on a level playing field. It will be very interesting to watch, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of obviously league football and domestic leagues. And if it happens, count me out. I said to... Um, uh, of, of, uh, of a job? Or? Yeah, of a job. I said to our news editor today, if it happens, just count me out. I'll, I'll stop covering football. What really? would you do instead? I'd just watch championship football and stuff. I don't want to go around... What about for money? Uh, drive a taxi or something. But you don't like, like, you don't like <laughs> watching the big teams play? Yeah, of course I like watching the big teams play, but I don't want it at the expense of losing a proper league with relegation and promotion and... Just Nor do you it. want it's it every just, week because yeah. if you have Juventus versus Bayern every week, who cares? Like it, it's you need to have it once every now and again to be interesting. Okay, yeah. but just having seen a side that fought, that finished seventeen points ahead of the second place in Manchester City, imagine this keeps happening because there's a huge disparity by mo- in money spent or whatever it is. Will that start becoming boring and then you actually want to see something more level? Well, it already is kind of like that. I mean, it, it, there already is a huge disparity and it should have been sorted ages ago. But money just ruins everything. And now what you have is the big clubs trying to get away to make it their, their own little private club so they can get more money from people going to see them and it's to be the same games every single week. And I like watching like a smaller team play against a big one because then sometimes they'll win, sometimes they won't. Sometimes you get... Really, you think Fulham's ever going to win against Liverpool or, or Manchester City? Well, they do or... sometimes beat them. Like That stuff happens in the league, but they're not going to win the league over them. They win like F- the magic of the FA Cup. That's what it's all about. You get that sort of thing going on. And I like having... The smaller teams, and it's it just it's just more so. It's more it's more romantic. It's just more it's more about what football kind of. This sounds very basic, but it's what it means to people. Do you know? I just I don't follow football because I want Man United to win or I want Arsenal to win or something like that. I like I like I follow Aberdeen. That's where I'm from, and there's something about it, something that ties yeah, to that totally community, and it's nicer. I, I totally agree with that, but I just feel like because money has ruined everything, mm. that maybe the Super League or whatever it is will do a way of just having at least the big clubs all sort of play under one rule. There is no way I can see that happening. There's no way they're doing it just for money or just to try and secure more permanent income. I mean, it's the teams like AC Milan, you know, they, they want a way to try and uh, to make sure they have these constant revenue streams coming in so they still maintain that without having to adhere to the rules of football like every single other club. Do we it's, think it's inevitable, though? I mean, I would say it, it felt more inevitable about 20 years ago that this would eventually happen, but the talk has died off a little bit. Mm. But do, do we think at some point this will happen, that there will be a breakaway league and the Premier League will be left with like Everton as its biggest club? <laughs> no, I don't think it's inevitable because I just think there's so much opposition mm. to the idea of it. And I think that they've made, they've tried their best to make the Champions League into a European Super League, which it sort of has become. Um I actually, I, I genuinely think it will come on and off the table and actually never happen. 
And so, I hope that otherwise I don't have I don't a job. want it to happen, but I want better rules when it comes to spending money. Yeah. I, I don't think it's fair that you can have, you, you can be PSG and buy two big stars for that money. I don't think it's fair that you can spend 300 million on wing backs. I, I think there needs to be rules and this applies for everyone from Juventus to Bayern. It's not fair when you have such huge disparity. It's not fun for us to watch. JJ Paul, give me your cleverest moment of the weekend in 30 seconds or less. It is Man City's sixth goal and a lovely strike from Leroy Sané. Well, sort of. Phil Foden's involved he's great Fernandinho wins the ball takes up from a Southampton attack and as Southampton are all in disarray in defence Raheem Sterling passes inside to Sané who faces up to the defender then another Southampton defender runs across the face of him and Sané does his little uh, uh, drag back thing where he sort of flicks it to his left I've not seen someone do it before and he flicks it gives him a yard of space on the roll of the ball and tees himself up for a shot and the goalkeeper should probably save it yeah but it's uh, really nice I like the skill I feel like I've watched it yeah finally Wayne Rooney potentially making a comeback for England. Uh, we will discuss this shortly and I will ask you all which player you would most like to bring back for one game only. But we've also had some Twitter correspondence on this. Astro Black says, I think there's only one answer to this and we all know it and has posted a picture of Emil Heskey wearing an England shirt. Absolutely bloody football, which is a Twitter account seemingly run by Alan Partridge, says uh, Matt Latiz back to Saints FC, or from more recent times, takes deep breath. Mane, Shaw, Lalana, VVD, Font, Wanyama, Pella, Klein. You see my point? Yes, Southampton have sold a lot of players, uh, and then a lovely, um, a lovely two in a row. Michael Chapman says Stanley Matthews. Uh, Ty says Pascal Segan. Matt Law, who are you bringing back for one game only? I'd have loved to have seen Jimmy Greaves. So I always think that uh, he's not quite given the recognition he deserves. Goal scoring record, unbelievable. When you watch clips of him, the goals he scores, unbelievable. So I'd love to just have the chance to watch Jimmy Greaves. Uh, Villa Hatton, I'd bring back Paul McGrath for one game. Or God, as he is otherwise known. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say Andrea Pilo, but that's actually quite boring. Considering I love defences, I would probably bring back Berezi. Oh. Uh, just to just to watch him. Otherwise, if I am doing it for Juventus, I'd love Gaetano Shirea for one match. Who? Gaetano yeah. <laughs> Shirea, best centre back ever. What? When did he play? Uh, early eighties. Ah. He passed away in eighty six. We actually named our curva um, after him. He was the captain. He played alongside Gentile, who Maradona had said was the best centre back. Um, he was sort of the graceful one. He was more like a sweeper. Um, but very much beloved by our club. I would have to go for the Brazilian Ronaldo before he got that knee ligament injuries when he was playing for yeah. Inter Milan. He was, um, I mean, he could well have gone on to be the best player you've ever, ever seen. He was unbelievable. Um, and done another kind of more personal note, I used to love watching Alan Shearer and it'd be nice to see him playing for Newcastle again. That was a lovely time, wasn't it? What do we think <laughs> about Rooney's comeback? I think it's great um, <sighs> that he gets it because... It's better than like him getting like a state funeral after he's died. Doesn't doesn't get to appreciate it, you know. They roll it out after everyone gets appreciated what? after they're dead. That, that's not what? on the table. No, no. But, like, that's not a comparison. Right, but everyone gets appreciated. It's just, like they go, they get all this like oh five pages in the paper on them, and they get a, a, a special on all the channels that they've achieved this amazing thing. At least he's alive to see it, so he gets it. It's a nice goodbye. So long. Thanks for all the wouldn't, pancakes. Wouldn't just bring him out before the game and having him wave at the crowd and get a yeah. nice trophy. Be, <laughs> Doing the same thing. I don't know. That's quite a funny idea. It just comes down waves and away you go. Get a full kit. Yeah. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> You're not into tricky. it, Matt. Not into it. The last 18 months of Kevin England's been good for not having to deal with these <laughs> stupid circuses. Like we've gone from circus to circus. Beckham, Rooney, 
Gerard Lampard, all that business. And it's been so nice not having to deal with it. And now we've got a whole build-up of Wayne Rooney coming on as five-minute substitute for the Wayne Rooney Foundation International. It's nice that it's for his charity. Still keep that. Do it for his charity. Give him a little boot or something. I don't know. But the fact he's coming back in the squad is absolutely stupid. And I'm going to make this point now. If if on Thursday the squad is announced and Wayne Rooney is in it, which he's going to be, and Callum Wilson isn't, then what does that say? I mean, Callum Wilson's doing brilliantly. If it's at the expense of another player, it's... it's oh, one friendly, though. One friendly. Yeah, but that, that's the one friendly where someone like Callum Wilson might actually have a chance. To, now we've got the Nations League, there's not that many chances just to bring someone in. So it's a complete waste of a cap. It's a mockery. You can't ever argue international friendlies are now not meaningless because they clearly are meaningless. And I am dreading having a week of writing about Wayne Rooney. Boring. Not a nostalgic one, are you? <laughs> no, boring. I think it's really nice, though. It, it's I mean, not it's, really nice. But it's just an international friendly, sure enough. I mean, they're they're not important. I went to the Podolski one that Germany did, and it was just rubbish. <laughs> but then, if you're there, it's going to be a special day. Maybe they should it's just not going to be spe- him coming on for five minutes. Is not a special day. Why is that special? I, I don't know. He's tribute. the top scorer ever. It's nice. Yeah, it's pay tribute to. Like, like what they could the do instead days. is like every every single game now. There's an applause for something or someone. So maybe England fans should just applaud in the 53rd minute for all his goals every single game. Yeah, do that. That's fine. I yeah. don't mind that. I wouldn't have to write about it for a week previously to talk about the fact that they're going to do it. You've solved it, JJ. We're also going to do an hour-long special about Wayne Rooney uh, in that week. Matt, so start revising now. <laughs> That's all from this week's Audio Football Club. Contact me on Twitter before next time if you'd like to. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. I'm pleased to announce that we've also joined the email revolution. You can now send us your thoughts, correspondence and invitations to connect on LinkedIn at afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. We'll read out the best of what you send us from next week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Audio Football Club. Just search for it on the internet and your expertise will take it from there. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. 